0: start on demand demand. hey hey, it's gmac on behalf of loren mcnab and a vacationing brett mcgarry jeff forche jeff braun cameron poitras the entire start team thank you for spending some time with us and we will talk water i wish we could say lots of water it's the exact opposite for far too many in our province. Cattle producers really feeling the pinch right now. The Pembina Valley Water Cooperative. Remember we told you a couple of weeks ago that the Red River could conceivably dry up in points? It's starting to happen. We'll fill you in on the ramifications of that. Bob Irving, our weekly visit with him. Jason Kinderchuk talks COVID-19 and the Roblin Chainsaw Massacre. What happened there? Some massive clarifications from Winnipeg Police. Let's get right down to business on The Start On Demand. Good Monday morning. Mackling and McNabb with you. Brett McGarry is on holidays this week. And we welcome back, following a two-week absence, Loren McNabb. How bad was it getting up this Monday morning, Loren? Uh.
1: It's like I didn't even go to sleep I feel like I have the smoker's voice this morning or something like I had a late night social or a wedding or a bar I was at just because yeah it's hard to get back to sleep after two weeks away but man I had a fantastic holiday I'm uh, happy to be back loved having the time saw family I hadn't seen in a long time took a swing out west and so got to tour some stuff in Edmonton Calgary Banff had a great 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 time and then of course uh Honestly Greg pushed the holiday to the final seconds didn't roll into the driveway till 9:47 last night so oh that's my part God. of the reason Why, I'm so tired. I just thought I just don't want it to end yet. Whoa!
0: You really pushed it. I was communicating with you yesterday. I had no idea you were on the highway. So uh, kudos to you, and uh, thank you for your commitment to uh, making sure that we had a show uh, worthy of uh, your return this morning. Uh, Yesterday, I was in your neck of the woods, Mm -hmm. took a drive down Highway 75, back up Highway 59, crossing the Red River at several different points, and was shocked by the lack of water in the Red River. We heard about this a couple of weeks ago. The inference, the suggestion that perhaps the Red River could run dry south of the city of Winnipeg, which of course sounds absolutely ludicrous. Based on what I saw yesterday, not so ludicrous at all.
1: I think it just really depends where you are and what you're seeing, But for sure, because that's my neck of the woods where you were. There are spots of the red that are, are, you know, unbelievably dry or where you know, there's very little water running. And then of course all the tributaries and creeks running off the red some of them are just straight up dry. You know, The drive west home uh, we took Yellowhead, the Highway 16 out to Edmonton but on the way home we're coming back from Calgary and so we were on the number one and the crops from you know, west to east through Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Some of them are really shocking to see. Some of them doing okay, but very dry out there. And then, of course, I got home, and this is this is neither here nor there. It makes no difference to my life. It was $13 worth of seed, but I the garden is gone, and I don't think there's anything I can – I mean, I'll maybe try to put some water on it over the next few days to see if I can salvage some of the plants. But two weeks without any help from me – means it's done and so I just think of that on the smaller picture and you try to you know look what that means to producers everywhere and cattle farmers and all the rest Greg you just think like it is just unbelievable there was no you know you expected some rain and I texted friends and some of my friends watered the flowers out front and that kind of thing and neighbors were very helpful but If you're you're not here to do it yourself, there there was no rain from what I understand. Millimeters, maybe.
0: Maybe millimeters, depending on where you were. And I think that's just a barometer for many of us in the city who live in an urban area. Our flowers, our garden, as sort of uh, just our peek at what's going on elsewhere in the province later on this morning. We will discuss uh, producers and the challenges and of course the harvest as you mentioned is sort of in full swing in many parts of the prairies and the grain fields uh, did not get, you know, the, the the wheat that we're used to seeing, maybe chest high, head high, uh, you know, is maybe up to your knees. I un- investigated, looked at a couple of corn crops that seem to be doing okay in your part of the province but uh, Reports of uh, just a completely different year than in a lot of cases, people have ever seen in their lives. So we'll we'll visit with um, the, the gentleman who runs Winnipeg uh, Cattle Auctions and we'll find out uh, what that's been like over the last several days, record numbers of cattle going through his facility. And we uh, thank you to Edward, a loyal listener, who gave us a heads up on that story and Global uh, Television actually did that story on Friday. The border opens today, well, at least one way,
1: yeah, so Americans are now welcome back into Canada, of course, with vaccine regulations and requirements for them. I have to be honest; we ended the last few days of our vacation at Clear Lake, and I saw three, four, five different cars with American license plates—Minnesota, Florida—in one case, a couple of Dakotas. So I'm not sure if you know there were exemptions made early, or people were just coming early, or what was the case there. But uh, yes, Americans, you you can expect a lot more. Uh, License plate sightings like that, I think, over the next few days. And we're going to talk at 7 just with the Hotel Association. As you know, you know many of these businesses have been waiting for tourism dollars to flow in. And Manitobans have been doing a good part to invest locally. But there's a percentage of the population that we rely on, and that is our American friends, to come to Winnipeg and spend their dollars here or in the fishing Uh, communities or up north you know when they might do different excursions and so we'll see if they're banking on more bucks in the days ahead greg and we'll talk to scott jocelyn manitoba hotel association at 707
0: and we're about 48 hours into this now maybe a little bit more over 50 hours since 1201 a.m saturday when public health orders changed dramatically in manitoba when masks went from being required to being recommended in certain facilities yes they are required and and still in certain spots You had experience with this out West for the last couple of weeks. What was it like being somewhere and people not masking up?
1: It's such a bizarre feeling because... When the, on the first day, we get to Saskatchewan, and I said to my kids, "We're still going to wear our masks, so just keep them on." You know, we're going to go in the hotel. We had one night in the hotel, and then as we venture into Alberta, you know, depending on what we were doing, I'd say, "No, put the masks back on." We spent a ton of time outside. You know, we were mostly with family. We camped. There wasn't a lot of indoor excursions, but there were choices being made, right? Like, am I going to put it on here? Will I make the kids do it here? And one of the things I found funny on the way back once we learned you know on the way back it's when we we were learning that manitoba was about to do the exact same thing and i thought huh i was about to prepare the kids to one of the reasons i wanted to say keep your masks on is because it was our our normal and so i didn't want them to get used to two weeks of no masks and then come back to manitoba but also i just you know my kids are both under 12 there's nothing out there protecting them but Mm -hmm. that mask and so we go into this hotel in moose jaw and we stop there for the night and uh I'm walking in and I have my mask on and I hear this other family come in behind me from a different province. I believe they were from BC and one of the kids says to the mom, hey, she has a mask on, you know, should we have her masks on mom? And and the mom says, no, 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 she must not be vaccinated. That's for the only for the mm. unvaccinated. And then I thought, oh no, now here we are again. I have to explain myself that I am vaccinated and I'm just doing it for, for different reasons. Right? So I'm curious what people saw Saturday. I have a feeling, Greg, like, look, I know a lot of people saw masks in stores Saturday, Sunday, but so they did in Alberta, too. You know, the first couple days, there were a lot of people in Alberta, from my understanding, from friends and family, that kept the mask on for a few days. And then it was just became too too easy to let them glow, go. So I think things might look different by this weekend. It's
0: Mackling and McNabb with you on this Monday morning. Our other M. Brett McGarry is off for the week, but he will return next Monday. Jeff Forche, Jeff Braun, who's also returned from a week off, returns. And Jeff, great to have you back with the group and hope you had a good week. Thanks. Oh yeah, it was good times. Glad to be back. Fantastic. Hey, so we're going to have a little conversation about breaking, bending the rules. Uh, This uh, story uh, happened a little close to home for you with regards to all those trees being uh, cut down on uh, Roblin Boulevard out in Charles. But have you ever found a way to bend the rules either for good or evil, uh, Bron, and, and maybe got caught or maybe you got away with it?
2: Well, there are a couple things that I'm just simply not going to cop to on the public radio of <laughs> dating back to the teenage years. But honestly, mostly, I am I was the one in our little gang of friends that was the stickler for the rules, to much to the chagrin of some of my other friends. And even to this day, every now and then, we'll be sitting around and one of them will say, hey, remember when we did this or that? And I'll be like, oh, I don't remember that. And they're like, no, we didn't tell you about that because you'd have just given us a lecture and told us not to do it the stick in the mud kind of friend every now and then, so I, I really don't have all, uh, anything that's popping to mind for that. Okay. I, I drive under the speed limit too. Oh, great! This, that guy. This means. That guy.
0: This means I, I might be the only person with a true confession here. What about you, McNabb? <laughs>
1: Well, it just kind of depends. It's more for me, like there's little things where I think, you know, when it says line up over here, this line up is for this, this line up is for that, and I just get into the shortest line, so I'll do stuff like that. I've been thinking often about, you know, as your kids get older, the things you want to teach them, and then you have to remember all the stuff you did when you were little. So growing up on the farm, for example, the, the age to which we were behind the wheel of vehicles and driving around and using them you know uh, like it's to get from point a to point b just on our own land so like that's just all sorts of rule breaking going on but i'm a stickler for you know I, it makes me think of the modern family scene where phil dumpy's in this room with his kids and there's this button they're not supposed to touch it says don't touch this button and i think they're in this experiment and so if there's a bu- big red button or a you know anything that says like, well, you're clearly not supposed to touch it. I really, that's all I want to do. And so, a few <laughs> about 15 years ago, I went back to Minnedosa and and I went out and uh, met up with a friend that I hadn't seen in years. And we were walking home late at night, and we walked past this church that for years I've wanted to ring the church bell at. Like, there's this rope. <laughs> hanging down on the street, and I think it's 2nd Avenue. And I was like, that's it. It is happening now. And I just yanked on this rope at 2 in the morning (sighs) and then ran. Like, I'm like 28 years old and just ran, like, as fast as I could. Like, what's going to happen to me? I'm not getting arrested for ringing one of the church bells. But it was one of those things in my head. I was like, don't touch that. That's that's the pastor's job. He gets to touch that church bell. And I was like, it's happening now. And I rang it as hard as I could and then took off, and I think I hid in a bush for 10 minutes waiting to see if anyone would show up.
0: These are the type of (laughs) confessions I'm here for. These are the ones that are going to get you tickets uh, to the Burt Party, 204-780-6868. Let's have some true confessions. Jeff Forche. Back in high school, you know, I would uh, get that message on
2: the home phone. River East Collegiate, a student in your household (laughs) by the name of Jeffrey has missed one or more classes today. so you gotta you gotta rush
0: home. you gotta try to delete that message or answer mm. the phone or uh clear the caller ID that's that's rebellious right there. Well done. and uh did that ever did that ever backfire on you? Well, of course, well mom and dad would hear it, and they'd be like, "Did you miss school today?
1: Yeah, a little bit
0: <laughs> your your son or daughter, Jeff. 4J has missed. Uh, that's fantastic. That, uh, 204-780-68, the Jim Cuddy Band, Northern Pikes, the Burt Block Party, August 20th. You can be there. Courtesy 680 CJOB. You have to uh, confess. Like Loren, like Jeff Forche, unlike Jeff Braun, who says he's never done anything wrong in his life that he's prepared to that. share right. prepared That's to right. share on the air well, i wanted you know i'm not gonna out you uh, and mine is actually a, a little bit of a jam out as well uh because it was just a modification of the rules i'm gonna take you to chi chi's had to make sure the question would allow me to tell a chi chi story loren for your first oh, day back i
1: was in banff and there's still a chi chi's there excuse me well there's a chi sign you gotta look this up. I meant to stop. I had all sorts of questions. We were driving by and I was like, hang on. Anyway, I won't derail this. Carry on with your stories. I'll do some Chi Chi's Banff research.
0: Uh, be, uh, pff, I'm completely distracted now. How am I supposed to carry on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'll do my best. So, uh, working in the restaurant biz, you have a uniform, and the uniform at Chi Chi's required us uh, gentlemen to wear black pants, black shoes, and black socks. Well, I always took care of my feet. I always wear or athletic socks underneath my black dress socks. And one day I showed up at work. And I only had one black sock, so I went into the office and I took a pair of scissors and I cut the toe off, and then I cut the remaining sock in half and sort of made hockey socks out of the uh, black socks so that I could be compliant with the regulation for my for my uh, uniform. So uh, I bent the rules a tiny bit, but it was all it was all to uh, to remain in good stead with the this boss. This is
1: your breaking the rules story. Yeah. Sock sock change?
2: Cutting a sock in
0: half? Yeah. That's <laughs> barely a story. It's creative. <laughs> it's a creative way to stay within the rules. What happened if you didn't wear the black socks? Are you fired? You might not. Actually, you might not be able. I might not have been able to work. I might have missed out on my shift, which like might have been like a hundred bucks uh, of tips. I think it was you a Friday. Yeah. The rule.
1: I would have dared them to fire me for not having two black yeah. socks. And go ahead. Did All you ever right. find
2: the other sock?
0: it's with all the other socks that disappear in the the dryer they're hiding out on an island somewhere that's a for sure 656 all right Uh, i I tried to bring a little
1: i was like we waited because you were the one that was like and i've got a story for this and i'm thinking this is gonna no offense this is creative but this i don't even know is this did you break anything you broke the socks
0: (laughs) i was just trying to get you guys to admit stuff Admit to things that you never, ever should have done. I'm bringing
1: church bills in the sir, so- <laughs> and you are like, oh, I cut my sock, and then I listen to this guy. So then I took the sock. And Hook, line, and sinker.
0: <laughs> have you spotted any American license plates this morning?
1: Yeah, one of our listeners texted to say that they were walking in Morris today, uh, just around 6 a.m., and they spotted a truck from the U.S. towing a boat heading north. And that's perfectly fine, because as long as the people in that car have received two two doses of a COVID-19 vaccine, it's a go. U.S. travelers, non-essential U.S. travelers who've had a full course of a Health Canada-approved COVID-19 vaccine are allowed as of now back on Canadian soil and so we're asking what might this mean for the economy for tourism and all the rest Scott Jocelyn is president and CEO of the Manitoba Hotel Association and joins us now good morning Scott
3: good morning to you both thanks for having
1: Tell me us, well thanks for taking the time I know it's been like so many businesses such a tumultuous year but here we are what percentage of uh, business in in Manitoba and certain parts of the province really count on these American tourists and American travelers
3: well, that's a really good question. I think probably best answer it that you know we're we're looking at this as a step in the road, right? Uh, I think I've mentioned you guys when I've been on before. We need a path to uh, get back to normal. Uh, people coming from the states is is normal activity for us. So you know today is uh, today's another step in the in the right direction.
0: Scott, I can tell you this from experience. Yesterday, I was trying to book a couple of hotel rooms. Uh, My sister-in-law is coming in from Toronto. and, And long story short, there's a little bit of a mini staycation happening in my family over the next couple of days. And I was finding it difficult to find hotel rooms in the two hotels that were on our short list. So what are you hearing from your members? Is this already turning into business?
3: Um, I think there's a couple other things going on. I think it's a little bit, obviously, too early to tell about uh, the travel from the States. Like I said, I, I think it's uh, it's another step in the road. There's the, uh, the trip uh, Manitoba program that's on until the 16th of the month. I know some of our operators have... Uh, gotten some benefit out of that. Unfortunately, there's some of the evacuees. So, you know, what a terrible story to happen in the middle of all this that we're dealing with. And, you know, people get moved out of their homes. And um, But the reality is some of those people are staying in hotels. So, um, you know, the last little bit, the last couple of weeks or so, have been, you know, I've been, uh, you know, kind of back to more back to normal.
1: That back to normal, Scott. So when, when we talk about that, are your hotels, are the hotels prepared for that? What sort of challenges have they had to keep staff up and, and keep things as they would uh, with all the changing requirements and all the rest? You know, whether it comes to how they have to clean, the, the breakfasts they may or may not provide, and then even the pool areas. It's, it's been difficult to navigate some of these restrictions.
3: Yeah, I think one of the you know we've never uh, and I've been on lots on your station and never have debated the public health orders, right? I mean, they are smarter people than I making those decisions, but the reality is, you know, those decisions come at a cost to us, a, a cost to make sure that we're our people are in com, uh, compliance, and, and a cost to uh, a cost to our business. When we can't offer the services that we normally want to offer. Um, you know, it makes it challenging. So even now, when Dr. Rusin and the Premier made the announcement last week, and they said that there were going to be some sectors. That still had restrictions, you know, I wasn't surprised that, you know, we still have restrictions. There are still things that we can't do today, um, you know, that we'd like to do. We can't have an event at more than 50% capacity, we can't have dance floors open. So, you know, there's still challenges, uh, but we're moving forward. I think the answer to your question about the challenges we're seeing for our people is is yeah, finding people as we start to open up again, a lot of people you know, because we've been open and closed and open and closed, you know, some people have left the industry. So, you know, we're going to have to get people back, uh, fired up about the industry, what a great place it is to work and and get people working back in the industry as we try and open our doors.
0: Scott, as we've discussed throughout this pandemic, it's not just hotel rooms, there are beverage rooms, there are VLTs, there are banquet facilities that really help uh, hoteliers pay the bills. So, Uh, Are people thinking about talking about Christmas parties? Uh, I mean, I know it's only in August, but planning does begin early for these larger scale uh, parties and get togethers. Are your members starting to have discussions about things like this?
3: That's a great question, Greg. I think that, you know, the people, um, you know, to do an event like that. And I think because people have had events uh, canceled and postponed through all of this you know, I think that people want to make sure that before they start planning a big event like that, that the doors are, you know, officially open again. So I would imagine that, you know, we would start to, you know, our people would start to get some of those calls as we move forward. But again, you know, and it takes some time to plan a big event like that. So if someone's going to do a big conference uh, next year, maybe the time to start discussing that is now as we look like we're getting, you know, a ray of sunshine. But, you know, I know there's a lot of pent up uh, desire to go back and do a lot of things. The event people will struggle in the immediate, uh, you know as we immediately open the doors because yeah the reality is there aren't people that are going to sit there and go yeah i'm going to do that conference next week that you know that takes uh, six months to plan
1: be a bit of a waiting game right scott for many whether yeah, it comes w- to the american tourists or anyone else thinking where should i go this year
3: yeah there will be a bit of a vacuum you know and i know i know even the american tourists right so like i said step in the right direction but you know even you can't just jump in the station wagon in grand forks and, and come here they're you know People have to think about things that they have to do to come here. So you're putting some obstacles in front of them. And, hey, maybe I I live here. Maybe it's the right thing to do to have those obstacles at this point. Uh, But the reality is not quite as simple as it's been in the past, but it's a step moving forward. And, you know, we're we're, uh, open arms, hoping that people can uh, come and visit us. Lots of great things going on in the province here. you know, that we hope people come and see us.
0: Yeah, people still need to produce a a negative test to come across the border. Uh, Working with somebody right now who's trying to figure out his way to get here as soon as possible. Scott, as always, we appreciate your insight and we uh, always appreciate you making time for us.
3: I always appreciate you guys' interest in where we're at, so thank you very much.
0: We start this half hour with the drought and it continues to be tough for ranchers as they try to feed their cattle amid tinder dry conditions. Global news reporter Marnie Blunt explains how this is impacting livestock livestock auctions.
1: Scott Anderson has been doing this for three decades but he's never seen the livestock yard so busy in the dead of summer. And this is probably the first
0: time we've ever had any numbers even remotely close to this in the middle of summer, typically this rush wouldn't start until mid-september or october. More
1: than 1,500 cattle are being auctioned off at the Winnipeg Livestock Yards Friday.
0: That is multiple times more than what we would typically get. Typically it would be 150, 200.
1: The reason? Extreme drought forcing ranchers to sell off their cattle early.
0: Uh, The Interlake is stricken with drought, no rain, uh, grass is burnt off, uh, very short on feed, even the dugouts are drying up. Uh, Guys have been hauling water to keep the animals watered, and uh, even that's you know, you can only do that so long before you got to kind of whittle your numbers down so you can you know be able to feed them properly over the course of the winter that global television story made possible by a text message we received on friday morning from loyal 680 cjob listener edward so thank you edward as he suggested we look into this
1: one of the main voices you heard in that story is of course scott anderson who runs winnipeg livestock sales and he joins us this morning on the start how you doing scott
4: i'm great thanks how about you guys
1: we're okay, but we, we were mentioning this morning, you know, depending on where you're traveling in this par- province, the pictures of, of uh, crops not growing as they could, creeks running dry, rivers very, very low. It's all difficult to see, and of course, that story just now is difficult to hear. I'm curious, uh, when these farmers, these producers come to market with their cattle at this point in the season, what impact is that having on the price that they would get? Is it anywhere near what they would get if they took their cattle to market as usual in mid-September or October?
4: You know what as far as the cattle uh, market the market is strong um the only downfall about selling your cattle now as opposed to two months from now is just their size you know a lot of guys are selling calves that only weigh 400 pounds you know compared to calves that might weigh 600 pounds or more you know in october so of course you know selling a, a smaller animal you know you're not going to get the return that you you typically would and If that's, you know, a couple hundred bucks, you know, on an animal and you've got, you know, 100 cattle or 200 cattle, it it definitely means that your income for the year is going to be drastically lower, you know, just in compared to, you know, previous years or future years
0: so obviously you combine that with the weather conditions and the unpredictability of, of maybe what we'll see in the spring how do you feed those cattle throughout the the winter here's a, a short clip from that story from livestock buyer jeff McSherry. he was on site on friday at one of your auctions there scott
2: the pastures are done and there's a snow feed around to buy and the feed that is around is very expensive and a lot of people aren't set up to be buying feed, so they're Forced to sell their cattle, and a lot of people are going to leave the industry because they're going out of sources.
0: So multiple issues there and variables. Ranchers getting out of the business altogether. You must know some of these producers personally, Scott.
4: Yes, indeed. Uh, You know, there's probably been two or three producers that we've seen just liquidate the herds, just sell them completely. Uh, They're they're forced with uh, you know the issue of making a decision on whether they're going to you know spend 70 to 80 thousand dollars you know on feed to get their cattle through the winter or they just sell them all right now uh there's a lot of you know producers that are getting on in age and you know typically their herds might be their retirement fund um so they're they're forced to make a choice on whether they're going to step out and spend a bunch of money in order to maintain their their herds or just liquidate them and and that's it kind of thing so you know there is going to be you know a drastic drop you know in the in the livestock landscape throughout the Interlake and, and lots of parts of Manitoba.
1: And there's a ripple effect of that too. Hey Scott, I mean when you come to some of these communities, the dollars that are spent in them from producers, you know the feed they might buy, the different stores that might rely on on the cattle farmers or or crop pulse producers. I mean it's all sorts of different ramifications of this, and so it goes deep if, in a year like this. And then I, then I would imagine the concern is well, how, when does this end? How far does it go? It'd be one thing to say, well, we can get through this year, but you're hoping this is a blip. You know, people are hoping that the moisture returns and we have a return to normal, and we just can't predict that.
4: No, that, that's right. I mean, we've had, you know, dry conditions now for, you know, two or three years. Uh, you know, a lot of places, you know, even myself driving around, I see that, you know, dugouts were running low, you know, a year ago, two years ago, and then last year with very little snow um those dugouts never really got a chance to to recover and fill up with water and and that's part of the the biggest problem right now is producers you know that would be their main source of water for their cattle out on pasture all summer and i mean hauling water every day is it's time consuming it's you know it's expensive because you got to have equipment to do it and everything and it's uh yeah, it's an everyday event now just to to keep them watered kind of thing where you could typically, you know, turn about and, you know, check them once a week and, and that might be enough to to get them through kind of thing. Where now it's 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 time consuming to, you know, babysit them every day, bring in them water and feed and everything.
0: We're going to talk a little bit more about water in about 20 minutes time. I took a drive just to see how low the Red River is. Typically our enemy so often with regard to the amount of water that flows through it at different times of the year over different years. And and I posted pictures on social media and one individual saying this is just Mother Nature making room for all the snow and water we're going to see in the spring. That's a fairly optimistic view of this. I have never seen, and certainly am getting feedback that people in, that live along the Red River have never seen anything like this. Have you ever seen what you're seeing right now, Scott, in terms of these early cattle sales?
4: No, I haven't. I mean, uh, and I do a lot of driving around the you know the country, going to other sales and calling on customers and things like that. And it's the driest I've ever seen. You know, so um, it, it, it takes a while to recoup all that too. Like we're going to need. You know, lots of snow and, you know, you know, going to need rains this fall just to kind of get some moisture back in the ground so that, you know, come spring, guys are going to be able to, you know, maybe get some hay off their off their land and as well, you know, the cereal crops and all the grains as well.
1: Scott, we just have a listener now texting to say that they have sold 98% of their herd. They now have no income for the next three or more years as their calves are gone. They would have normally have been sold in January. And so that's the kind of impact we're talking about. We did have federal government officials here a few weeks ago talking about support. What else can be done here? I mean, we can't make the rain appear, but are there further assistance programs in your, that you know of that should be reinstated or reintroduced or brand new?
4: Well, yeah. In talking to other people, you know, throughout the industry across Canada, I I know that out in, you know, eastern Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick and that, they have record crops of hay. Um, you know, whereas where we are, a round bale of hay might be worth two hundred dollars a bale. Uh out eastern Quebec, New Brunswick, it's twenty dollars a bale. So I mean they've got record bumper crops of hay. Um, you know, lots of people here are you know, remembering back, you know, many years ago when there used to be freight assistance where they would just load up a train of hay and and bring it, you know, across and and you know it would be sold when it got there and the farmers would unload it off the trains and uh, and things like that. That might be something that, you know, at least I've heard from producers that they they kind of <laughs> they kind of think that should be done, you know, just to get get the feed to us, you know, from from Eastern Canada where it's, it's bountiful, you know. So that might be one thing uh, just in hearing what producers are telling me. So, you know, it just remains to be seen what uh, extent, extent that uh, assistance would come to.
0: Well, we've got this story because of a listener planting a seed for us. So, Scott, thank you for this and thank you for pointing out what's going on in Eastern Canada. Another line of questioning and another part of this story that we will have to look into. We appreciate you very much, Scott. We'll keep in touch uh, throughout the next several months if that's okay with you. Absolutely. You betcha. A couple of weeks ago, a memo, a memo from the Pembina Valley Water Cooperative was emailed to us at CJOB, and among the information provided, Lorraine was a statement which jumped out for me, and, and I think it did for you as well. The Red River south of Winnipeg has the potential to run dry in spots, and a video on social media posted by Gilbert Sabrin over the weekend caught my attention. He was south of St. Jean-Baptiste, in his side-by-side, an ATV driving essentially on the riverbed in spots. And it would indicate that this is becoming a genuine possibility. And I took a drive south of the city yesterday, as far south as Saint-Jean-Baptiste, and what I saw was absolutely startling.
1: Yeah, and we've heard this for weeks now, right? That Morton, Winkler, Arm of Stanley, so many communities south of the perimeter are really struggling. And so just Friday, Morden Wrinkler and the arm of Stanley declared the state of drought emergency. Residents again being asked to reduce their water consumption, not just because it's bad now, but they're really worried about not having enough water to get through the winter. And that emergency declaration, it came with the advice of the Pemina Valley Water Cooperative, which you just mentioned, Greg. Greg Archibald is its CEO and joins us now. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Well, we've heard from uh, Greg Macklin, our co-host, just now, telling that about what he saw on his drive. I live south of Winnipeg, and many of the creeks and, and rivers certainly are dry. Paint a picture of what you're seeing in the different communities about where it might be at its worst, Greg.
5: Uh, well, the, the levels are continuing to go down. I think before when I had spoken with you, I talked about from mid June to the mid July, it went down by 50 percent. The flow in the river from uh, 1530 cubic feet to about uh, 750. And then from July 25th on to now, um, it's down by about another um, 50%, uh, less than 380 cubic feet per second. Uh, So what we see there is the flows are going down, but the the issue for us is that the level of the water is going down. And that's causing some real operational issues for us with our uh, water treatment plants on the Red River.
0: Well, paint us a picture because the last time we spoke or the last time you spoke with CJB, we heard you with Richard and Julie talking about the intake, the water intake pipe in certain communities where it was visible in some parts of the river and very close to being in that situation in others. How dramatic a, a change have we seen in the last couple of weeks and is running out of water a, a genuine concern here, Greg?
5: Well, there's two issues. Um, currently, like I said, there's about 300 and... Probably 370 cubic feet per second as of this morning or around that. And we need about 10 maybe to run the water plant. So you would say that there's still water in the river. For us, the issue is that we need uh, water elevation or water head in order to pull the the water out of the river. And so what's happened is the water level on our intake at our Latelier water treatment plant has dropped so low that it's not usable. Um, so we've had to bring in uh, portable pumps, diesel units and a, and a, a portable uh, inlet uh, to put in the river in order to get the water out of the river to continue to supply the Latelier plant. And that was about a week and a half ago. Now we're moving into a situation where the diesel uh, units that we have are not working, and so very effectively, uh, because the level is going down further. So we're working on some different ideas around either submersible pumps in the river or a different kind of pump on the edge of the river uh, that would be tied directly into our main line going to the plant from the river. Uh, So it's just causing us a lot of heartburn. (laughs) So one of the things we had hoped to do was to uh, pull more water out of the river and then send it over to some people at places where we could store it in case we did lose flow on the red. Uh, An example was... We could send more to Winkler, who is one of our current customers. They would not use the aquifer. And then, if later on we needed some other water, then they could help supply some of our customers' water. But we haven't been able to do that because of the pump situation.
1: So, do we have a timeline here in terms of when you say, my gosh, we we won't be able to do this?
5: Well, we're working heavy on it. We had a really, uh, we had a visit this weekend by a number of. uh, um, MLAs, uh, Minister Schuler came down, our local MLA Josh Gunther, um, uh, MLA Blaine Peterson was here. Um, we had a number of uh, uh, provincial officials, a number of municipal mayors, reeves, and officials, and we had a good meeting on the riverbank and looked at everything and uh, kind of talked about our plan of attack over the next week to try to get some better pumps and get that system upgraded and I was assured by the province that they're uh, with us and going to help in whatever way they can so that was reassuring. Um, We do have another problem emerging and now our intake at the Morris Water Treatment Plant is above the water level also so I suspect we'll be into portable pumps up there in another week or two and then we have the ultimate question which is how low will it go? And if it goes too low, is there room underneath the ice if it freezes uh, for water to flow? And I just don't know the answer to that question.
0: Yeah, and so that takes us into and potentially through the winter. It's a serious situation. Greg, I have to say your calm demeanor in relaying this information to us is Fascinating and very impressive. So we appreciate that you're one of the individuals involved in this. Thanks for taking time. And and please, if there's any information that you feel the public needs to know, uh, do not hesitate to reach out to us in the future. Can do. Very good. We appreciate
5: have good, you. Have
0: a good day. Greg Archibald. He is the CEO of the Pembina Valley Water Cooperative. Loren, startling information in that last five-minute conversation.
1: Yeah, you have to keep it in mind. All these things, right? We're talking about gardens and crops and cattle producers, and then there's these communities to which, when you don't, when you it, when you turn the taps, are you even pausing to think about where that water comes from and what you rely on and what systems need in place to make that work? And so when you pass by the red, it's not just the red. Oh wow, the red is low. That red means water can't get into water treatment stations. It means the towns' drinking water, showers, toilets, all these things you don't stop and think about. We're in this is a very very concerning situation.
0: Sports weekend, the weekend in review as it pertains to sports. And uh, I guess really we could go back to Thursday night as the CFL kicked off its 2021 season at IG Field. The Blue Bombers 1-0 following their win over favoured Hamilton. And I will not get tired of pointing out the fact that three of the four teams that won this weekend were not favoured, Loren, going into those games. Both Alberta-based teams had their season openers ruined by Ontario-based teams
1: yeah so to delve into this a little more we're joined now by the lovely voice of bob <laughs> irving how you doing bob
6: i'm doing well Lorraine. and greg how are you guys
1: oh such a pleasure to hear you thursday night and i can only imagine you must i just have to know did you fall asleep easily after that game or were you up for a while
6: I never fall asleep easily after a game because you're kind of amped up when you do one, so I get home and it it usually takes an hour, an hour and a half before I can sort of unwind and get to sleep and the next morning I wake up early again so it takes me but a day to recover now from doing a game. I know it sounds onerous, it's not. It's fun. But that's kind of how it works.
1: Yeah, well, it was so exciting to see and exciting to be back in action. And then, of course, there was more football to watch over the weekend. And as Greg mentioned, uh, Alberta-based teams losing to Argos and Red Blacks. Big wins for both Saturday night.
6: Well, and a great weekend for the Bombers because, you know, when the teams in the West lose, it's good for Winnipeg as they try to finish in first place. So the Bombers beat Hamilton. Very impressive win. Uh, their defense was outstanding. Greg talked about them being underdogs. We were surprised to hear that going into the game. I mean, it was based on Hamilton's 15-3 and record in 2019. But the Bombers, I think, demonstrated to everybody that there's no way they should be underdogs in any game they play. Saskatchewan beat BC, so a Western team was going to win there regardless. That was an interesting game because the Riders were ahead by 30-some points And the Lions looked dead in the water and came back and almost won the game. It was a real thriller at the end. Toronto upsets Calgary. And it's going to be fun to watch the Argonauts this week because they're here on Friday night, and they looked really good at knocking off the stamps. And then Ottawa beat Edmonton against all odds. Ottawa had seven first downs, 127 yards of offense. But they picked off three passes, had great special teams play, And they somehow won the game, making Paul LaPolice a winner in his debut as head coach of the Red Blacks. So there was the weekend in the CFL. Uh, All things worked out well for the Bombers, maybe except for Saskatchewan beating B.C. because the Bombers and their fans never want Saskatchewan to do anything good. The Riders have a good club, though, and they're going to be, you know, uh, to be reckoned with this season. So there's the CFL weekend In retrospect, and now we look forward to Friday when the Argos come here.
0: Yeah, well, I think uh, that sets up already people looking forward to Labor Day weekend and the return engagement here in Winnipeg, the Banjo Bowl, because it is sort of like we're six games into the season here in terms of the calendar, Bob. Uh, Ryan Dinwiddie, the former Blue Bomber quarterback, head coach of the Argos, he wins in his debut. And, of course, the Argos have not won very often in Calgary, as really most teams don't over the last decade or more. And Toronto hasn't won in Winnipeg. I think it's going on six years now.
6: Yeah, and the Argos looked really good. The McLeod Bethel-Thompson threw for about 350 yards. I think we all wondered, uh, those of us who follow the CFL closely, what the Argos would look like because they've made a ton of changes, signed a lot of high-profile free agents, and you wondered how it would all mesh together. But they came they came back. They were down by eight points, came back to beat the Stampeders in Calgary, which is never an easy feat. So that was very impressive. Very happy for Ryan Dinwiddie. He was the quarterback here for a couple of years and played in that great cup game in 2007 when Kevin Glenn got hurt. Uh, He's really a nice guy, and he was an assistant in Calgary for many years and got the head coaching job in Toronto, which surprised a lot of people. But uh, what a wonderful start for him, and the Bombers will attempt to bring the Argos back to earth here on Friday night. I'm looking forward to that one, Greg and Loren, because – Again, we didn't know what to expect from Toronto, but they look like they have a very interesting interesting, and exciting team. So this matchup on Friday looks like a dandy.
1: Yeah, we have a listener texting to say, Blaine, saying that, by the way, what we're seeing in the sky is smoke. You can see it and smell it, but he's hoping Big Blue take care of the big smoke Friday night. So a little play on words nice. there. And, of course, that's Friday night, as you mentioned, Bob. I just want to look back, if we can, quickly before... We go on the Olympics and, you know, a lot being made of ratings being down uh, for the Olympics this year and lots of questions still about whether they should have been held due to COVID and all the rest. There were years where we used to always look at how Canada did, right? And how can we approve Canada's medal performance? And here we are, uh, great banner year for Canadians. And yet, I don't know if that's making the headlines as it should. Is Is something shifted with how we look at international sports on this stage?
6: Yeah, I think there's a a different view, Lorraine, of the Olympics. But I can tell you that everybody in this household where I live uh, watched the Olympics from start to finish, and people I talked to, all of them were sort of into the Olympics. I don't think they have quite the pull that they used to have, but it's still fairly significant. And it was a great Games for Canada, 24 medals, a record for a non-boycotted Games. And, of course, the soccer game, I think, is the one, the women's soccer game, the one that really held everybody's interest uh, just a few days ago and it went to penalty kicks which is an awful way to decide a game but Canada beat Sweden and just the emotion that uh, poured out from the Canadian players Christine Sinclair finally getting to the top of the mountain that was really cool Andre de Grasse winning that 200 meter run fantastic and Damian Warner uh, won the Golden Decathlon. And decathlon, you know, the winner of the, the the decathlete is often considered the greatest athlete in the world. And he's a Canadian, Damien Warner, and what a wonderful human being he appears to be. I saw the interview with him, and he's just a down-to-earth guy who's so happy to be competing and to be representing Canada. So, I don't know, there's lots of talk about the Olympics and whether or not they should have been held. And You know, they're corrupt at some level and the money it costs to stage them and all the rest of it, when you boil it down to the athletes competing, there's still something about that that is so great and that will never change.
0: Yeah, no matter how hard many of us try not to watch the Olympics, it's almost impossible for them not to suck us in at some point. Bob, we appreciate this, especially on a day where you're taking the day off and you you decided, you know what, we'll let Kelly Moore do everything Else, but we're going to visit with Greg and Loren. We're very honored, friend. Look forward to Friday night.
6: Okay, Greg and Loren, thanks very much.
0: As Manitoba shift from masks being required to recommended in many circumstances over the weekend, many of us are wondering about children under twelve and their inability to get vaccinated for COVID nineteen. And we're also looking ahead to school in just a few weeks' time, Loren.
1: Yeah, and so we regularly turn to one of our most respected contributors uh, who's been with us for the past 18 months. And we're joined now by Jason Kinderchuk, assistant professor in the Department of Medical Microbiology at the University of Manitoba. Good morning, Jason. Good morning so many questions I think for parents and I know we heard the back to school plan on Thursday from Manitoba and then of course Saturday restrictions lifted and masks are no longer required in many places unless the business of course is demanding it and and I'm wondering as a mom myself and other parents have been writing this morning what should they be thinking about when it comes to children masks and of course the combination with COVID-19.
2: Yeah, it's difficult, right? I mean, we we just literally went through this this weekend. We had uh, our daughter at daycare. She had a runny nose, so she she got set home on Friday. We had to get her tested and wait for the results. And, and there's that nervousness, right? I mean, even with all the, the health restrictions in place and knowing that, you know, yes, kids predominantly have been infected at a lower rate throughout the pandemic so far, there is that, you know, that, that concern that you get. And, you know, thankfully, she was negative. Um, but I... I Think about you know, what's going to happen for parents, certainly as the, uh, the health restrictions have been lifted. lifted. Um, you know what, what is going to happen in regards to anxiety? And I, there's, there's not an easy answer, right? So when we look at Delta, when we look at the data that's coming in, certainly there's good, I think, good suggestion from the U.S. data that kids are getting infected more. Um, and Isaac Bogosh said this perfectly yesterday on, uh, on a show that I was on with him where he said, when you put kids into a position where they're going to be in enclosed spaces for long periods of time and you've got a virus transmitting in the population, you're going to see transmission. It's just we, we have to appreciate that. The question is going to be how many kids are going to end up getting sick and what are the, the long term ramifications, uh, even in those very few circumstances where we see severe disease. And, and I think you know we're, we've got to be very cautious with this.
0: Jason, for so long, we've been talking about statistics, about numbers, epidemiologists tracking certain numbers and and trying to spot the trend. What do you see and what are we doing in Manitoba with regard to the Delta variant? Are are we on top of how prevalent it is here in our province?
2: Well, it's a good question, right? So, listen, I think from a a sequencing perspective and a surveillance perspective, I, I think we... Uh, we have a good idea of, of where we're sitting with cases right now, and, and that's good. I think the unfortunate reality is, listen, we still love to see the modeling to know what what we're potentially dealing with uh, provincially, but also the sense is with deltas, so we we don't have that same time period as we did before to to try and you know reenact restrictions or, or try and curb transmission. The the virus is just transmitting too quickly and that's the concern to me as you look at the provinces to the east you look at the provinces to the west we know what's going on there with delta right now and i think for us the unfortunate reality is it's a matter of time how extensive it will be i don't think we know but certainly we're going to see delta pick up here
1: what are we seeing jason when it comes to testing you mentioned that your child had to be tested over the weekend after sent home from daycare and Myself, my family. Many families have been through that, right? And you do it because that's that's what you're supposed to do to help everybody else out. But as we head back to school, potentially depending on the division with with no mask at all, kids are still going to get sent home. I would think for the same reasons. Don't come to school with the sniffles. Where are we at with rapid t- testing, and why can't we have that in schools or at least more accessible so you're not missing a day or two or even four in some cases? Yeah, asking
2: a great question, right? So, so the rapid tests have been something that uh, that I think we've we've talked about, you know, over and over and over again. Is this, you know, that they, they are not fail safe. Um, they're certainly not as sensitive as the the traditional uh, qPCR uh, tests that we're doing with the, with the nasal swabs, but they give you some information on the spot, right? And and I think that's the question to me is, listen, if we have them here, can we not implement them? This would be uh, seemingly to me the perfect time to do this. Um, to at least get some assessments, not only of, of who potentially is positive, but also what are the trends looking like in schools. I hope that there's going to be more push, maybe from the school divisions, to do that. Um, but but I haven't heard any change yet or, or any discussion of change in regards to, to whether those are going to be implemented.
0: Jason, thank you for this. We always appreciate the access and the insight that you bring. And, uh, well, if it's okay with you, we'll keep calling on you.
2: I appreciate it and I'm always here, guys.
0: All right, Jason Kendrachuk joining us this morning. He's assistant professor in the Department of Medical Microbiology at the University of Manitoba. Amongst other credentials, you'll see him right across the country on a variety of news stations, conversations on talk radio as well. We're very fortunate to have access to him. (laughs) We've got some great text messages. Let's get right down to business in the immortal words of Peter Warren. We want to give away these tickets to see Jim Cuddy in the Northern Pikes on August 20th. Uh, Loren, which one do you want to read first?
1: Let's start with Lorraine. Lorraine texted with a great story. about, And, and I think parents have been here before. She had on uh, summer break and she wanted to take them all to a, uh, you know, whether it's a Tinkertown or museum or swimming, they wanted to go everywhere. So that costs a lot, right? And it's cheaper if you have kids who are under a certain age. So they have this regular group of four kids that knew the drill. I believe it was at Tinkertown. They'd get to the ticket window. And they'd have a rule. Everybody stays quiet, right? So Lorraine says, well, that day, another neighborhood kid wanted to come. They didn't know the drill of staying science. All the kids were relatively the same height, no growth spurts. They could pass for under six years old. Well, you can guess what happened next. We're at the ticket window. I'm paying for our group of five under six years of age. And as I'm saying, everyone is under six to the cashier. Out of the mouths of babes, a confident voice with conviction <laughs> from little Johnny says, hey, I'm seven years old. Well, turning beet red. I got caught. I had to pay the 10 extra bucks and after that we had a little chat with the parents and a big laugh about how proud Johnny was being 7 years old. I get it. People have been there before, you know, you're like, "Oh, well, they're barely, they're not going to go on all these rides. They're really short. They won't fit, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But then you gotta, you gotta fib your way through that, and if you get caught, hey, that's the price you pay.
0: Here's one that got in just under the wire. I grew up in the States, and when I first learned to drive, I was not allowed to go outside the county line. So one evening, I lied and told my mom I was going to a friend's house. Instead, we piled into my car and went to the skate park, which was in the next county. Unfortunately, I got in a car accident and was transported to the emergency room. When they called my mom and said, this is Martin County Hospital, and your daughter is in the Er, my mom said you've got the wrong number my daughter isn't allowed out of st lucie county and she hung up the hospital had to call back and explain that yes i was there and she had to come get me i was in just a little bit of trouble oh boy oh boy, I- oh, boy.
1: <laughs> yes yeah, see your mom had so much faith in you that's hilarious but of course we have to go i think we agree greg the winner here Wayner, because he knows the way to your heart <laughs> Wayner texts to say Breaking the rules Labor Day, I believe it was 2018. The group I was with was in the Pilsner zone. We attempted to take off Gainer the Gophers head yeah, when we drove they by did. to celebrate a rider touchdown. Mayhem erupted it. Was awesome. Yeah, you're uh, in the lion's den there. If you're in Ryderville trying to take off Gainer of the Gophers' head in the game. Did we win that one? Was it worth it? I doubt it. We don't win too many Labor Day classics. 2018, I want to say we did
0: not, uh, but that's not a for sure. I believe I remember hearing about this. And so, Wayne, uh, you are our winner today. Well played. Not that we didn't have some other extraordinary... Text messages, but Wayne uh, knows the way uh, to my heart. So uh, tomorrow, you get to choose the winner. Okay, McNabb, nine twenty-two. Right. Cam- right. Okay, you sound good? Yeah. Okay.
2: Like hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show. Tell us what you think.